0: Welcome to the Wizardous Podcast. I'm Paul Canetti. This is episode four. Today, I have another Paul on the show. It's Paul Wallace, the VP of Media Solutions at Vice Media. Vice doesn't really need an introduction, uh, but in case you've been living under a rock, Vice is an incredibly fast-growing, hot brand. They do pretty much everything there is to do. They have digital properties. They have a TV station called Viceland. They have a news show on HBO, Vice News. Uh, They're all over the place. I just learned recently that they just launched a beer called Old Blue Last. That's right. You can drink your Vice beer while watching your Vice programming uh paul comes from a rich background of advertising and tech just before we started the conversation he informed me that he used to be a radio dj and so he was admiring some of the new setup we've got you will notice in this episode brand new microphones in the maz studio he also told me about the podcasting studio at vice which of course sounds insane It includes a $20,000 Afghan rug and uh, a lot of amazing gear. The vice office is just, like, ridiculous. It's in Williamsburg, um, near the water. It has this beautiful, like, outdoor patio. There's an espresso bar. So I was very lucky that Paul was willing to come over to Manhattan into Maz HQ, into our... uh, our little studio here and uh, to sit down and talk about all things media, tech, advertising. In my eyes, Paul is one of the people that has a really close pulse on exactly what's happening in the digital advertising sphere, particularly when it comes to video content. And I hope you enjoy our conversation. So without further ado, here's Paul Wallace, VP of Media Solutions at Vice. So I understand you uh, you have some
1: experience with microphones. <laughs> is that where we're going <laughs> right out of the gate? I probably should not have told you. Uh, you shouldn't tell me anything that I that I used to be on the radio because now I feel that I, I have to say something about this. But I think you do. It is true. I, I in a former life I uh, was a, a radio DJ for Kiss FM. <laughs> Which, if you knew me and you saw my face, you would probably realize like that's really strange. Uh, But you know, it was Pittsburgh and it was 2004. Yes. So different times. What's the Kiss FM like jingle? I don't even think there was a Kiss FM jingle. It was just your voice, just saying Kiss FM. Yeah. You know, hey, it's Paul, and you're listening to 96.1 Kiss. Love it. Pittsburgh. Love it. No, we're not. Uh, who knows? Maybe maybe they'll syndicate this, you know. Oh boy,
0: uh, um, I don't know if
1: I'm even legally allowed to say that, but I did.
0: But who cares? There's a very, very, very good chance that they will never ever find out about this
1: until they do, and then <laughs> it'll be really funny to get that cease and desist. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a worthwhile, yeah, yeah. So you hang that up, you that's a worthwhile it. endeavor. I think there's a frame shop downstairs,
0: um, you know my uh when i was in the band love and logic apparently there's a love and logic parenting institute in colorado this makes perfect sense and we got a pretty nasty letter from love and logic wow institute about uh
1: the institute of it. love and logic yes and i can only imagine send a with that letter. curriculum
0: yeah if if you search on YouTube where there's a fierce competition between our videos and their I think you know a little bit more videos. about SEO than <laughs> we it's I said fierce. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so one of the places maybe that we can start is from Radio DJ in Pittsburgh to uh, to Media Solutions at Vice, you know, just like a little bit about your sort of career trajectory and how you ended up where you are and, and uh, you know, thematically where you sort of see yourself in the wild world of media and tech and advertising.
1: Yeah, um, so yeah, Pittsburgh, that happened. And uh, came here and was doing a lot in print. So you know, whenever you open up a newspaper and you see those tiny little times and dates at the bottom of a movie advertisement, that was us. And uh, that was pretty exciting, but ultimately, I don't think that there was a, a big future uh, as Fandango was coming on on board. Mm-hmm. Um, and so moved into digital and sort of progressed through the ad tech space over a course of a number of years, um, you know, interclick and value click. Um, and then ultimately found myself at twenty four seven real media, which became b three, which became. Media Innovation Group, which became Zaxxis. I think it's just Zaxxis now. Um, and and then you know I found my way over to Vice. You know, there's a I have a heavy interest in what the premium publish publisher space was looking to do, and uh, there was some interesting opportunities. And you know, Vice is a cool company because uh, they're really just trying to figure it out, and they've been they've been figuring it out kind of backwards. You know, digital How do you mean? digital first. Um, doing lots of branded content, sponsored content first, as opposed to building up, you know, uh, a, a big display and video media, you know, empire, and uh, and then now they're going into TV and they're sort of accused of going backwards, but but actually, if you think about the how you know how how it works and how licensing deals work globally, it's it's actually brilliant. And so, um, you know, it's pretty exciting times to be there. And that's what I've been doing. And so, you know, my role there is uh, primarily overseeing the programmatic business. So, um, you know, basically the automated trading of our inventory and a lot of the monetization around content distribution. So, Vice uh, sort of famously is distributed everywhere. Uh, they were one of the first. Major media companies on YouTube. They were one of the first uh, Snapchat discover uh, partners. and um you know they're very prolific across all other social media platforms and uh, you know, devices where you can distribute video content. So uh, I spend a lot of my time ensuring that that is done the right way and we're, you know maximizing that you're sort of monetizing across all those channels, everything, yeah.
0: I started as a print magazine, right? Yep. So it's funny. Now they're sort of working backwards into they, TV. first they went forward. It, yeah, it's, it's, like,
1: a, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 1994 in, in, uh, in Canada, they were the, the voice of Montreal. Wow. And then I didn't know it was a Canadian. Canada, like, what's with Canada? They do some amazing. We have a, a number of really incredible partners out of Canada and, uh, I I adore working with all of them. I find them to be very insightful, and I find them to be uh, awesome collaborators, and uh, you know a level of transparency that you don't typically see. Uh, so that's you know it's really exciting, and it's very easy to get things done. It's very easy to to really build cool products. So I actually like spend a lot of my time working with Canada right now, and I think it's really a pretty sweet deal. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you know what you need. A red recording light like Uncle Jesse? You need a red recording
0: light. I need a red recording light like Uncle I Jesse. I
1: think that you can make a kind of cool red recording light out of found materials. Whoa. That's very vicey, I feel like. Well, I mean, you guys have this pretty cool sign on the outside of your office mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that seems to be pressed out of a nice sheet of metal. Correct. And I feel like you could probably conjure up something that's similar to that. Yeah, interesting. Throw a you right. know a Philips Hue light bulb in there that you can control from Ooh. green to red. It would be very exciting. I come back in a
0: couple weeks. I think. Uh, <laughs> Let me know. All right, I, I will give you full credit on that, uh, or fifty-fifty with Uncle Jesse. Fair enough. Um, yeah. So, wait, Backing up a little bit, you you worked at Interclick. Pre or post Yahoo. Pre. I don't think I knew that. So you worked with Mike Katz? I did. That's crazy. Yeah. I never made that connection. Yeah, he's yep. a friend of mine and, and we we use M Particle here at
1: Maz. Ah, um, okay. Yeah well so they're doing some really special stuff. I mean those guys are on a on a rocket ship. I think that everything that he has he has done, he's sort of seen where the space was going and got there early. So I think that m particle is a pretty Awesome idea, and it, it keeps popping up uh, now that I'm spending a lot more time talking about uh, our app strategy. Uh, the idea of M particles coming up in the same uh, breath as you know some of these really big guys like Kachava and so on.
0: Yeah, exactly. We're um, we're actually announcing like a big partnership with them um, in the next couple of weeks. Cool, which maybe before or after this podcast is released. But yeah, the. Uh, yeah, for those that don't know, MParticle is um it's basically a company that is sort of the analytics and marketing analytics SDK to rule all SDKs. And so as a developer or a publisher, uh, instead of baking in like a separate SDK for every single type of analytics or marketing tool or um, you know, uh, audience segmentation tool or whatever, you basically implement one, which is MParticle. And all the data lives on a particle server, and then gets forwarded to these individual services. You can sort of flip them on and off like switches, and you don't need to re-implement those SDKs every time. So yeah, we we use it and we love it, and our, our partners use it. Um, so that's funny. I didn't that, know. Yep.
1: Yeah. So that, that, that I was, was there when, when their office was you know like fifteen people. Yeah. Um, and there was a dog running around. So exciting times.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, now they raised something like a $17 million round. Yeah, the last
1: one was was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, that's awesome. So, okay, so your advice, you're, you're basically figuring out how to monetize. That seems to be one of your major responsibilities. It's a theme. Um, but like, what is... Okay, so it sort of seems to me, just being an outside observer, like... Vice is fairly agnostic as to where they publish and the different sources of monetization, as opposed to some publishers that say, We're all about our owned and operated. It's ultimately about driving traffic to our sites, our apps, our properties. Um, Then there are others uh, that sort of openly are trying to almost do the opposite and saying, We realize like our our O O doesn't matter at all. And it's all about sort of platform distribution. And again, just my own take is that Vice sort of seems to be everywhere and anywhere. That almost decentralization seems to be getting broader, if anything.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's definitely um, an intended uh, byproduct of of really who we are and where we come from. Um, you know, we view ourselves primarily as a content builder as you know, as a, as a company that really understands our audience. And, you know, for those who don't know, that's really the youth audience. And, um, these individuals consume media the way that they want to. There's not a, you know, there's not a, um, a conformity with one platform over another. Uh, you know, they're using whether it's Facebook or YouTube or, you know they're watching videos that are syndicated across multiple sites or um, Snapchat or really wherever, and you know the, the way that we look at it is rather than try to push someone to you know project a habit that they don't wouldn't otherwise do like forcing just, them to come to vice.com exactly or why wouldn't you just want to be in front of them and give them. Um, the opportunity to consume the content that you're making specifically for them in the area and the place that they want to consume it. And so, you know, while when you say it's it's decentralized and broad, I, I look at that as, a, as, as an advantage. Um, of course, we have a website. And of course, uh, we are, you know, concerned about, um, you know, the size and the scale of that website. Um, we also have a number of platforms and partnerships that rely on us driving uh, our users to those places as well. So um, I look at this as a deep, deep advantage.
0: When when I talk to various media companies, they're all at sort of different places on this spectrum. You know, um, or even if you go to all these you know same media type conferences every year, on any given year, it's like. Don't become too reliant on Facebook, like they're gonna screw you. And then the next year it's like, we love Facebook and they finally turned on video ads and And then the next year they're like, they changed the algorithm and don't rely, you know, it's like (laughs) like and, and so I feel like it's this very uncomfortable place that most media companies live because they haven't fully accepted that they're sort of in the hands of these, these external, you know, powers that could really could, could make or break them. Um, and it seems like you guys just sort of accept that as just like, this is the way the world
1: works and we're just sort of, you know, embracing that. I, you know, look, we, we obviously have our challenges as well, um, with, with any of these platforms, but I agree with you. It it really is a, a perspective that we need to. Uh, you know, we need to have across the entire organization where uh, we recognize that these are platforms that are obviously providing a massive service to their user base because otherwise they wouldn't have such a large user base and it's within our best interest to to be there and to be in front of our audience. and I think that's the most important thing. you know making awesome content for our audience it's no more simple than that. think about sort of the
0: sharing mechanisms that obviously are inherent to a lot of these social platforms like i know whatever buzzfeed talks about it where they specifically are creating content for the platform they're on sort of knowing that this is the sort of content that's going to spread on uh, facebook versus the sort of content that's going to spread on twitter or is that sort of just a happy accident that like people pick up the content and run with it uh
1: the way that buzzfeed focuses on its distribution is a lot different than the way that, that Vice does. And um, I don't, I wouldn't call it a happy accident. There's certainly a calculation behind it, but um, we're not looking at it the exact same way as they are. They're taking a a, a way more, um, you know, meticulous approach to each individual platform. And we're focusing in on building, insane premium content and that's the thing that's important to us if you build like awesome shit people are going to want to consume it wherever and that's the goal right so you don't need to manufacture that if it's good it's good don't get me wrong i'm not saying that they're manufacturing stuff for specific platforms but they have a different approach let's just put it that way okay
0: um so i mean when you're thinking about advertisers I'm imagining that you can, you have a much easier time like selling direct and getting higher premiums from your advertising partners on your owned and operated properties versus through these sort of other platforms. And so how do you think about it there too? Or, or And this is a general question about the industry, like, you know, or is it made up for in, in volume?
1: Um, you know, t- I'll focus on the industry because I think it's a given that your wholly owned platforms are going to yield the highest results for you. Um, and and that any publisher would find that, right. Um, you know, with the exceptions of the ones that live solely on Facebook. Um, but they have no comparison point. There's right. th- exactly, there's no, you know, you're not going to their, you know, whatever.com. I'm not going to call anyone out, but um <laughs> Uh, the people
0: at whatever.com are like, I feel, you, I, man. Yeah, I
1: feel, you know, I, I hope that whatever.com gets like this <laughs> insane bump of traffic yeah, yeah, exactly. the day that this gets published. And they're just like, how on earth did that happen? Right, And
0: then they're trying to recreate it. They're
1: like, yeah, exactly. all Chipotle that day. It's like- those two Pauls. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, look, I think that, uh, that everybody is trying to manage yield, Um, against their owned inventory versus their inventory that's distributed and syndicated uh, in in unique ways. I mean, we have a guy uh, who is absolutely insane um, when it comes to his understanding of of this sort of yield management. And uh, he's able to put together models on top of models that help us and guide us into sort of the best decisions. And so um, it's certainly something that we think a lot about, but um, we happen to be, you know, super flexible and we happen to have a, uh, you know, an executive team who really, really understands where we're coming from and gives us a lot of runway to test and learn and build and replicate and fail and succeed and so it's you know we've had we've we have a a lot of fortune on our side
0: yeah it sounds like a lot of flexibility that a lot of other media companies just aren't afforded
1: or you know they're they're just too in the um in the trenches with how they've always done things. With yeah, the, they don't want to jeopardize the legacy that. Legacy product, exactly. Um, you know, we the flexibility that we have gives us the ability to uh, to innovate, and that's a really exciting, big reason why I'm there. But the industry as a whole, I think that right now it's pretty exciting. Um, the, the dispersed distribution of content is, um, you know, really picking up and you're seeing a lot of cool ways that other publishers and content producers are um, are finding to, to get their message out there. And it's not just clickbait, but it's actually really interesting, innovative uh, distribution methodologies. And we're always looking at what others are doing and trying to learn from them, trying to innovate from them, trying to leapfrog them. I mean, we spend a lot of time thinking about how other publishers are distributing and we're spending time, you know, iterating on that.
0: And not just distributing their editorial content, but I know like you guys and a lot of people are doing a lot of branded content, sponsor content, and I would assume that you're trying to you're sort of laying the pipe with your editorial content for all the places you could put that branded content.
1: Yeah, I mean, we have uh we have a lot of experience in this area. Um, it's it's a foundational element of, of what we do. And it is certainly an area that we have um, a great deal of uh, expertise in when it comes to distribution and ensuring that the message that our brand partners are trying to get across is Uh, seen, consumed by the exact individuals that they want to, uh, you know, see and consume this, this message. And we do, you know, a lot to ensure that that is um, resulting in the necessary lift that they're looking, uh, looking to achieve, you know, so we definitely do focus on this. And I think that we spend a great deal of time trying to come up with solutions that are like, out of this world, amazing. And, uh, and distributed across the right platforms that makes sense for them. So not going to call out any particular brands, but the ones who have done amazing stuff with Vice definitely know that they've done amazing stuff. And it's because uh, of the collaboration between the brand and 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 us. I think that we wouldn't be able to just come up with this stuff on our own. So you mentioned before that you're sort of moving backwards into TV. We've
0: obviously been doing a lot of work with with OTT, with our new TVX platform. And it's interesting because we're working with traditional broadcasters that all of a sudden need to go over the top uh, and and sort of bypass traditional cable distribution. But then we're also running into all of these digital uh, publishers that now are basically getting to the television set for the very first time. And they're all sort of meeting in the middle because you know if you skip X years ahead... Assuming that, you know, sort of an app based environment on an OTT device, whatever that platform may end up being, or, or if those, you know, they're sort of consolidated winners. But either way, the playing field sort of equalized because if you're whatever.com and all of a sudden your videos are just another app next to NBC or some really, you know, entrenched television. Company, um, and they're both just apps sitting on your home screen of your TV, and you're sitting on your couch. You know, that sort of distribution equalization is, is really empowering for a digital brand and really scary for a broadcast brand. But you guys are sort of weird because you are a digital company, but you have an actual broadcast TV network with Viceland. So like, how do you think about OTT? How do you think about um, like why even get into cable? If it's sort of dying, uh, I don't know. I have, I have lots of questions around that. And, and not even necessarily about Vice, but just your own thoughts on, you know, it seems clear that video is not going away and televisions are not going away. But like almost everything else seems to be up in the air.
1: You know, I, I, I'm I definitely not the, the foremost expert here, but uh, I would love to sort of chat about why I think TV, I mean, you're right. TV is not going anywhere. Video is not going anywhere. So really, it's just a big screen that has video on it. Well, what is that? Um, right. But cable, I think that they, I think that you're starting to really see some some interesting innovation. I mean, YouTube has officially come out with their their platform, which is adding new stations on a pretty solid clip at this point. Um, and you're seeing other, you know, other solutions come to market, whether it's Amazon or whether it's, you know, a Netflix or whomever. And, um, you know, I think that we're in this, what they keep saying is this like golden age, right? It's golden age of TV. Yeah. And, uh, and I feel like like, it's exciting to me. Like I watch way more TV and I'm much more interested in what's happening in my home than what's happening on the movie screens. And I have a friend who works in the film industry and is the president of marketing for a, a studio, and I feel bad saying this, but he kind of knows how I feel. So. <laughs> <laughs> so in other words, instead of going out to the
0: movies, you're more than happy just to sort of... It's just
1: I, I find that there's there's much more content that is geared towards me. Yeah. And, you know, as opposed to mass-marketed
0: You know, it's sort of weird. So I feel like TV shows you think of as being shorter and movies you think of as being longer. But the TV shows of the 21st century or whatever, it's almost the opposite. In other words, if you sit down to watch a series on Netflix, you're committing to like minimum 10 hours of content, way longer than a movie. It's a pretty long movie. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Uh, And so, so. I don't know about you, but like we'll sit in front of Netflix, we'll be like, We we haven't seen a movie in a while. Let's look at all the movies and we like browse through, then we're like, Oh man, it's too late to watch a movie now because we we've just spent the last half hour like just going through the stupid grid.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: And then Yeah, exactly. Um but I agree. I mean I don't even
1: know how many original programs Netflix has, but it's like, there's no way you could watch them all. I mean, there's... No, and, and I would think that... I also feel like Netflix is, is kind of throwing a bunch of shit at the wall. Yeah. And, well, but and do you trying think, to determine what So sticks. Do you think
0: Netflix is an analogy to a TV network like, let's say, HBO? Do you think Netflix is more of an aggregator, um, like
1: Hulu or even like a Sling TV or something? I definitely think Netflix is more akin to an HBO. I think that there's a very... They're producing so much more content then. But that's, I think that that's just because of, you know, they're a technology first company as, as, as opposed to like an HBO, which was, you know, originally a content first company. And so like, it's, it's woven into... And then wouldn't, wouldn't HBO be better at content if that's true? yeah, that's possible. but that's I, that's what I'm trying to get at is that that's why there's much more content uh, on Netflix. I still feel that their closest, you know, ri- rival. I don't know if I'm using the right word, but is is an HBO or perhaps Amazon Prime. Yeah. I mean, I think that amazon prime is is ultimately like, gonna crush sleeper
0: so, yeah. well then it's super weird because netflix you're talking about their technology stack but they actually run on aws they run on amazon's web services so do. it's like you know they're i think they're they're amazon's biggest customer or something twisted yeah, like
1: that well you know i think jeff was just named the second richest uh man on earth and so that's probably why. i think
0: i read their stock increased something like in the last 20 years. Is that it? Like some, some absurd.
1: I really missed on that one. Yeah. Right. Right.
0: (laughs) Just $1. And you know,
1: yeah. Would have have gone a long way. Private school for one year in New (sighs) York city. (sighs) Um, what shows are you guys watching? What's, what's like, (laughs) this is embarrassing. Um, what are we? Well, I'll say, uh, we have both been watching, uh, the handmaid handmaid's tale is that handmaid's tale oh, i don't tale? know i don't know if handmaid's i know about this tale on netflix i think that, that it's on netflix yeah. it could also potentially be on hulu and this is the problem See? whoa okay and So let's this stop is right the problem. here
0: <laughs> let's stop right here you don't know the name of the show you I don't know th- what network it's on or whatever i don't know if network's the yeah. right word you don't know what service it's on service yeah so what do
1: you know I know that I'm going to go back to it. I also know that I hand the remote to my wife, uh, and I. So she's like the. She is the keeper the of where. Yeah, she's the keeper of where things live. Um, she tried watching uh, something. Some oh man, I'm really terrible. This is this is this is why this is gonna, I knew this is going to be embarrassing. She started watching some like 13 something or other. Oh my God, 13 Reasons Why? 13 Reasons Why. Uh, are you watching? Well, she watched one episode last night, and I was kind of watching out of the corner of my eyes, yeah. working on a, a deck for work, and I don't know what I feel about this. Oh, man. Uh, well, uh, no spoilers, for, but like, we
0: just finished it last week, and it will F you up. Uh, yeah, I don't I know mean, how I feel. About I feel this. bad that I like like it or that I found it entertaining because for those that don't know without giving anything away, it's a show about a teenage girl that commits suicide. Oh, and, um, thanks. But that's in the, that's the first moment of the pilot. Oh, I
1: wasn't, Obviously, like I said, yeah, I was watching it the corner of, of my eye. All right. Yeah.
0: Well, spoiler from the first one minute
1: <laughs> from, from the trailer, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like
0: the description on Netflix episode <laughs> one. And basically the stories about her high school in the aftermath. Oh. That's, that's like the premise of the whole thing. So it's like pretty dark, subject matter, and it's, and it's a drama, but there's also something like weirdly exciting and sort of nostalgic to high school, even though it's about this terrible subject matter. It's very like, I felt very conflicted watching it, but, um, but we really liked it. And, and it, it, I think at its core, it brings up a lot of these very real things that are happening in, to high schoolers today and just like how hard that is and these the sort of real issues that they
1: surface through the show. Uh, yeah, I would assume that themes around social media and bullying is probably pretty big. And, exactly. You know, I can only imagine, and I can't say that I have watched very much of it based on. Yeah, what sounds I've like just you uh, Sounds myself. like you
0: missed the point pretty hard.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, that's I'm okay. not sorry. That's okay. What else am I watching? Oh, uh, you know, I think that everything is. A little bit out there, mostly like really random documentaries. Oh, interesting. You so you know? are watching movies. Yeah. Or like those short form documentaries. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yep. Kind of like the ones that Vice produces. Oh, weird. Huh. Tell us about those. <laughs> no. I think so, we- so you guys
0: are producing films. We are. Whole thing. And are those ad supported?
1: No. No, we're, we're producing films and submitting them for you know awards and you know things like toronto and can whatever um and i think that that's really that's what's so exciting about being part of uh of of the larger vice media company um i have nothing to do with the film world and so therefore there's no monetization so you know they don't call me um but it's cool to, to see where that has come from and uh You know, Eddie and Spike are very much the ones that are sitting around that area of the business. And I think that they're truly making like magic. I mean, it's pretty, pretty cool. And I would imagine that all of those parts of Vice Media,
0: even if it's indirectly when you are selling Vice as a as a partner for an advertiser, that's all part of the same story, right? Like. Like this is this is who we are as an organization and what we're doing at a, in the broadest sense even if you are interacting with us in this one small way.
1: Yeah, I think that you nailed it. It's it we have a very clear understanding around the demographic, the culture, what excites people, what brings people together, what moves them, what is impactful in their lives and we're able to You know, I'm not saying we're using it for malicious reasons, but we're able to leverage that information across multiple um, mediums. Yeah. Whether it's digital, television, film, um, music, podcasting, you name it, and print. I heard you guys have a nicer rug in your podcast studio then. It's a really nice rug. I I have have. to tell you, I was admiring it, but well.
0: Yes. I (laughs) I like your
1: rug, though. It's softer. Uh, I'm not. I. You told me that I wasn't allowed to to bang on the floor because the mic might pick it up. Yes. So. Yes.
0: It's so soft that it was. It would absorb. I any. wish that
1: everybody could see that Paul uh, C. Nice. Just just rubbed the rug with his hand to ensure that it was soft. I, I actually will admit I hadn't felt it before, but it is it's quite. soft. You know what? Hold on. It's really soft. Yeah. This clearly has not been like tr- treaded on very much.
0: No, this room is way too small to tread anywhere. Uh, yeah. There's really not much, yeah. not much space, um, but you guys have a lot of remote controls. We have more devices attached to any given TV in this office. I'm than, so
1: jealous. Um, you are
0: more than welcome to come. And I have
1: one question. How, if I only have one HDMI port on the back of my TV. Man. How do I plug everything in? Because I have, you know, an Apple TV.
0: Is there a a such thing as like an HDMI hub? Like a USB hub? I mean, I've never even
1: thought to look. I don't know.
0: I I just like uh, go in the
1: back and unplug things and plug them uh, back in. It sounds terrible. It's really terrible. So...
0: I wrote this post a couple of years ago, actually, that I wanted the Apple TV to basically include HDMI inputs. I
1: read that post. Hey, (laughs) I remember. you're the one. (laughs) I remember
0: reading that. Because it annoyed me. I think the biggest barrier to using an OTT box is simply switching the input. Like when I turn on the TV at night, how do I decide between Apple TV and cable? It's just whichever
1: it happens to be on, because I'm that lazy. I couldn't agree with you more. We've Chromecast, which I really adore, um but because the Roku is like kind of set up yeah. you don't have to go through right, the, you don't have to like find your phone and yeah do all the know. stuff and cast it i yeah. end up just defaulting to to Roku and and don't get me wrong i mean i've been a Roku user for since like i think the very beginning wow ride ride till i die but <laughs> <laughs> is that the Roku is that the Roku like gang <laughs> slogan god <laughs> Yeah, it is. There's like a, a hand gesture too. Uh, I'd love to see it. I, I'll uh, figure that out okay, later. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. <don't I> <laughs> uh, well, yeah. So, so, well, I'm glad you read the post, but right. The idea is that like I was thinking that could be the hub. So you plug in your cable box even into your Apple TV. Theoretically, you could plug a Roku into an Apple TV, a Chromecast into an Apple TV, and then your TV is set to one input, which is the hub. And then each of those other devices basically become like an app or a channel within the Apple TV interface. Um, if they slapped a screen on that thing, then yes. it would just be... Then Then that's your TV. <laughs> what would they call the Apple TV at this point if they manufactured a television? Like, I, I feel, feel like, like they you already you used the like name. I feel
1: like you're closer to, to this than I am. So I mean... The natural name is Apple TV. Maybe they just say... It's like Apple TV Pro. Meet the
0: new Apple TV. Wouldn't that be funny? You walk in the store, you're like, all right, so I want an Apple TV. Like, Tell me, what's the difference between the normal (laughs) Apple TV and the Apple TV Pro?
1: Well, one, uh, Paul, is $99. Oh, that sounds great. And the other one is $999. Oh, and what's the main difference? A screen. Wait, so I can't watch TV on
0: the $99 one? You can plug it into a TV. But I'm shopping for a TV.
1: Well, then, might I suggest <laughs> the Apple TV Pro? Oh, I see. Or the Apple TV TV. Yeah, I think that's that's the name. Squared. Apple TV
0: Squared. Yeah. All right. Well, obviously, we you should know run what they're going to do. At Apple. They're just
1: going to say, "Meet the TV." Yeah. Right. It's just going to be called TV. It's going to be called TV. God. And and they're going to love it. And they can. We're gonna and love you're going to love it. I am going to love it. It, it it's important to note that i was sitting in paul's apartment um maybe a month ago and he handed me the uh the the iBuds. i'm sorry i i i don't airpods use, grandpa so, uh, no i just i'm like an android user i i can't and I'm, I'm not even going to apologize anymore uh I can't believe they me, let you into the building uh the i know the the uh airpod and um and you're like what's the best part and you you give me the entire thing and i take them out and i look at them and they look like you know headphones without the string yeah and and then i put it back and you looked at me and you're like aha (laughs) doesn't that feel nice when you put it back and it clips into place and then you like had this smile on your face that was concerning (laughs) (laughs) but was i right you are 100% right. I definitely so did it. So satisfying.
0: Let's see if we can capture the sound into the oh, microphone. I'm taking the AirPod out and... Oh, look at that pop on the,
1: on the thing. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah, it's so satisfying. Oh, goodness. Amazing. I should have video recorded that, but then it would be a vlog.
0: It would be a vlog. Do you know the video podcaster thing? Yeah. If you go like and look at podcasts, you can actually choose audio podcasts or video
1: podcasts. Is this in your Apple?
0: Phone? Yeah, like the Apple Podcasts app. I don't know if Google Play has
1: something similar. No. You know? Google Play was super late to podcasting. In fact, yeah. they don't even have Shit Town, uh, which, wow. which annoyed me. I actually downloaded Stitcher just to listen to Shit Town. I mean, no,
0: the folks at Serial that produced it, but like, The Wizardist
1: Podcast, this podcast, will be on Google Play. So it's not hard. It it must be some sort of, having spent a lot of time doing partnerships, you have to think they said to themselves, well, what's in it for me? And Google didn't. Yeah,
0: I should have held out, man. I should have held out. I shouldn't have just pasted that URL into the Google Play dashboard.
1: <laughs> is that all it is? That's it. That's literally. That's well, now hard. I know it's how it. I'm going to be able to listen to this.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. You too can listen even on your, your Android
1: Your inferior device. Android device. It's okay. It's
0: okay. Um, or on Stitcher. Um, yeah.
1: Well, now that I have Stitcher because of shit town. Is Stitcher cool? I've never even used Stitcher. Um. Yeah. I. I. You know. I, I. Honestly, like typed in shit town and it gave me like four options wow. and I clicked on the first. Did you listen one. to it by the way? I'm almost done okay. with it. All Have right. you? Yes.
0: Are yes. you finished? I'm done. I will say nothing because I don't know exactly where you are and I'm, I don't know where I'm the like, listeners are. I'm, but
1: you know, like maybe I would say an hour and a half from being. Okay.
0: Sure. So you know. Yeah. It's. We'll. We'll talk. We'll talk. Yeah. That's a good podcast. It's, uh, yeah. not, it doesn't, it's not about what you think you can, it's about.
1: No, it's just phenomenal. He's also like a talented individual when it comes to creating a, um, a world that you can only, you're only experiencing via audio, but yes. you can absolutely visualize everything. It's just, it's surreal. Yeah. You've got a long way to go. Yeah. <laughs>
0: If you can't visualize this, then I don't know.
1: Yeah. Because there are remotes. The
0: soft rug. the soft rug. Uh We really
1: go off track. (laughs) So way
0: back when, when you were sort of telling me about what you do on a day-to-day, you talked about programmatic, right? So here's a question. I talk to people. Some think that programmatic is basically the, you know, the death spiral of the advertising industry and in that rates keep going down and it's just junkier and junkier and, uh, and whatever. You can have these premium exchanges and, and et cetera, et cetera, to try to counteract it. But ultimately, the whole idea of programmatic is stupid. Then, of course, you have the other side, which is like programmatic is everything. Why would you ever not optimize using technology to place ads in the perfect, slots at the right time and, and, you know, um, and accept bids to get the best rates and whatever. And so, you know, on, in that camp, which I, I would count myself in the second camp, but like, you know, do most organizations even need to sell direct if programmatic gets good enough that they could just, you know, like why are, why are media sales, why are sales even happening within media companies as opposed to, pure play ad networks that are just matchmakers between advertisers
1: and, and publishers. That was a lot of questions. Um, I have, I can answer that and, uh, perfectly. Um, so one, uh, I am in the same camp as you. Uh, I am a believer in, in programmatic. I don't think that it is a race to the bottom, uh, I don't think that you know the rates are just going to drop, and everybody's going to uh, you know lose their jobs at all. I think that it provides an incredible service to ensure that uh, everybody, whether it's an advertiser or a publisher, um, is executing on what is intended. Uh, whether that's an audience-first strategy, a brand-safe strategy, a viewable strategy, a, you know demo or what have you. Um, I feel that, you know, you, you started touching on, well, isn't it ultimately going to lead to a point where you don't need media sales? I no, absolutely not. It will not. Uh, relationship management uh, in the world of programmatic is just as important, if not more important, than relationship management when it comes to direct sales. And I feel... Why is that? Because, you know, look, it's still it's still a complicated mechanism. You still need to ensure that your clients are uh, getting exactly what it is that they are opting in for. You still need to make sure that you as the publisher are rising above the noise of other publishers. Um, you still need to ensure that... The optimizations that are um, you know intended to make uh, the campaigns perform better are executed, whether they're executed programmatically due to the settings that you have in the system, or if you need to make human-based adjustments. Um, I, I strongly believe that it's a, a relationship game. just because you make your inventory available um, you know into the open auction. Uh, does not necessarily mean people are going to buy it, and you're going to fill. Um, you know, someone still has to sell. Someone's got to be on the ground, um, you know, making those those conversations happen, and getting those relationships, and helping to uh, move things along, and helping to innovate, and helping to understand what the street is talking about, and bringing that back home to provide new solutions and products and services um, back to the street, and so. Um, I think that, you know, there, there are, and there are a lot of advantages in regards to the automation. And I strongly believe that the majority of transactions, um, whether on digital or soon television and, you know, radio as it's beginning to happen as well, are going to be programmatic in nature, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there doesn't need to be a, uh, you know, a force or a team behind that, uh, pulling the levers, building relationships, optimizing, reporting, tracking. like All of that still needs to happen. In fact, many companies find that the programmatic teams often balloon um, to a, s- a staff that's higher than their direct team um, because of, of the, um, the sheer amount of upkeep that it, it requires. But does it make
0: sense for all of that inventory across multiple publishers to be aggregated somewhere and sold in bulk maybe vice has enough inventory that they can justify an in-house team to not only sell but to manage and and help with reporting and all the stuff you're talking about but for a smaller publisher like does it make sense to try to manage that all
1: yourself is there isn't there a lot of redundancy sort of from company to company i mean there are services that support that i mean you know Originally, it was the ad networks that were sort of assisting and aggregating all of this inventory and managing of the sales. Uh, then came the exchanges. And the exchanges were really just more of an automated version of an ad network. And right. people who built the exchanges would, would hate to hear me say that, but like, let's just call it what it is. And um, And then from there came... Uh, the demand side platforms and the supply side platforms and all of these services have been built to support um, publishers, big and small. And basically it's an equalizer and you can subscribe to these services and you can utilize them and, uh, you know, extract and hack in many cases um the uh, the the outcomes that you're looking to achieve, whether big or small, and so we use uh, and and have built an, a pretty robust ad stack, and I'm obviously really proud of what the team has built, and uh, and and it's totally possible that a publisher, you know, a fraction of the size of us, has the same ad stack and could be leveraging it the exact same way or a completely different way. I mean, right. basically everybody is out there trying to figure out how to hack uh, Google and trying to figure out how to um, pull one over on their systems, whether it's DFP or uh, AdX or... Well, and so how do you think about, like, you know, a few years ago, every
0: media company was saying stuff like, we need to become a technology company. And then I feel like the pendulum swings the other way, and it's like, actually technology's hard. Like we're really good at content, and we're going to, you know build on top of these incredible technology tools and companies that concentrate on technology like Google, for instance. Um, you know, do you believe that media companies need to have that in-house tech? And if you're building it anyway, does it make sense then to try to license it to media companies that can't get their act together? Like I'm thinking, obviously like MLB, bam or um Washington Post uh they're now like i think trying to license their CMS uh to other like news organizations yeah. because they Washington built
1: it. Post is definitely the example that that i would touch on on this topic as well i mean yeah. what they've done um is pretty impressive and and you know media companies don't need to be technology companies but that doesn't mean that they can't build tech solutions whether in-house or through partnerships and i think that they need to figure out what works for them and then they need to just execute on it and determine is this something that we're going to ultimately support for the long term and then continue building on it or is this something that we need to partner out because you know a partner can potentially build something uh, for them better and support it you know right from a some
0: sort of threshold Internally, yeah. Where then you sort of graduate to that next
1: level. Yeah, I mean, it's a or the opposite, I guess. Build
0: by partner model. Yeah, you could start with with an external solution, and then when when it becomes important enough, you want to bring it in house. I mean, I could see it sort of going both ways. Yeah, I
1: mean, we we definitely build some things in house, and um, you know, some of our data science solutions are built in house. Um, some of our uh, you know, reporting and a lot analytics tools are built in house. Our CMS was built in house. Really, um, but then you know, when it comes to our video player, we've effectively taken a uh, a version of JW and then hacked the shit out of it, and nice. and uh, and now we have this insanely fast video player that is like, I love JW player, <laughs> top notch, and. Um, You know, and, and someone, someone, I said hack JW player the other day and I, I was scolded. What's the proper term? They were like optimize. And I was like, but that's not what we did. Customize. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know. Custom implementation. Sure. Whatever. Um, I like hacked. I like that. And, and. You know, I, and and Brian is a big supporter of of what we've done, and so awesome. I mean, he's all about it. So yeah. he he looks at yeah, us I would as, imagine because yeah. the whole point is it's so flexible. You know exactly. Um, yeah. So you know, look, there are scenarios where um, it makes sense for us to to build things. Because we have a specific need right. uh, that that no one can bring to, but even there with JW, right? It,
0: it's a good example because it's not like you're starting from scratch and building building. A
1: oh no, I mean like they've I, they've built something. Like from I scratch. always think of
0: this. You know, I'm I'm a designer, so I think about design software. But like, imagine if every company was like, okay, so you know, for editing images, either we can use Photoshop, or we should just hire a team and build an image editing software. And then use that internally. Like I know my dad's company in the 80s, there was no like spreadsheet software. So he hired a programmer on site to basically create a spreadsheet computer software that they used internally. And he always talks about now he should have just licensed that software and like basically would have been Bin Excel. Excel. But exactly. I'm sure a million companies were doing that, each one independently, each one redundantly. And obviously it took someone like Bill Gates to think like, huh? Like we should just build one spreadsheet software and license it to all of those companies. Um, And so, you know, I see that same thing happening when I talk to media executives that are just building like the same stuff. You know, in any given week, I'm talking to 20 different companies and they're building 20 different versions of the same exact technology. Like that never makes any sense to me.
1: I think that you. I mean, you're in a unique vantage point because you see it f- specifically in the app ecosystem, an ecosystem that is still very customized, and people want to build something very specific. And so, it sounds to me like what you're getting at is you sp- you're speaking to 20 different media executives any given week, and they're all building the same redundant thing, and and that thing is probably an app, and that doesn't surprise me one bit. I mean, we. We do that, right? But like but, every media-based
0: app I've ever seen is basically the same app.
1: Ultimately, no, I completely but, agree but, with you. They're but, ultimately but it's the same thing. not just apps.
0: Think about websites as the same.
1: You know, specifically with media companies, they they need to make sure that this is fully aligned with wh- what they perceive as their look and feel. Um, so you know, maybe the last thing that that uh, I
0: wanted to ask you about was just you know. 2017 sort of, you know, is an interesting snapshot of where the stuff is. And, and to me, all the stuff around video and TV and OTT seems to be sort of like a hotbed right now that probably over the next couple of years will sort of work itself out or at least we will have a much clearer indication where that's going. What do you think the next sort of wave is from there? Like, are there sort of emerging technologies, things that are, that are sort of pre hotbed Right now, that you guys are keeping an eye on, that your advertising partners are already starting to ask about and put the feelers out, like you know, do you guys think about things years out like that? Like, should we be investing in VR?
1: Should we be thinking about whatever? Um, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, we so you you touch on VR. We we've definitely played around in that area. Um, We are absolutely thinking about areas where we think uh the industry is going to move and a lot of the plays and the moves that we're making right now around this sort of this mass distribution across multi-platform um like aligns with where we think the uh the industry is going to go i mean someone said to me and i'm not sure i necessarily agree with it but they were like well websites are going to be completely dead in 3 years and i've been hearing that every 3 years yeah exactly for the last and and, and 10 years for exactly yeah for 10 years but it's it's we're in a situation where now that is not too far fetched how do you mean and i just you know and I, and i'm not saying that it, like again i don't necessarily agree with it but um there is a, a scenario where people are just consuming their content from a YouTube, a Facebook, a Twitter, a Snapchat, or these, you know, these mass distribution engines and um, you know, going to website and website traffic as a whole uh, could potentially go down. And it really becomes the, the role of the measurement companies to ensure that they're tracking all the ways that content is being distributed, and I can tell you, uh, f- you know, I'm very close to this that the measurement companies do not do this. Yeah, and so it's frustrating. But yeah, um, but to the topic, uh, you know, where do we see the the puck going? Um, you know, distribution again. I think it's all about distribution right now. Um, just ensuring that uh, we're able to um be in front of our audience. Uh, where they consume content. Can we see any further beyond that? Yeah, we're definitely talking about a lot of, you know, tech uh, that hasn't necessarily been released or is so um, nascent that, you know, it's it's not anything worth considering right now, but it's something that we, we see is going to be really big in the future. Um, each individual division within Vice has examples of this, you know, no one would have been able to call header bidding in the programmatic industry, um, you know, a year before it really hit the stage. And then boom, I mean, it's like the biggest thing in the world. Right. And, you know, there are some relatively, you know, well-respected individuals within that space who got that wrong. And, um, you know, I think Rubicon is probably the the most famous one and, uh, and their stock took a hit for it and um you know and there's an example of that in the content creation world there's an example of that in the the world that focuses solely on social media and the the world that you know builds solutions for television distribution and monetization and we do our best with our limited resources to um try to plan for all of those future scenarios but what it's, those exact things are i mean well yeah of i course. have some ideas but i you know right I you can to, touch on all of it yeah you have to bet a few
0: places you know um to what you said about the web i mean some of these new platforms like apple tv for instance um or the apple watch you know they don't have access to the web there's no browser yeah so it's not even just that like people don't want to go there anymore um, but we're starting to see more and more platforms where, like, the web just isn't a thing. I think um, it's a
1: conditioning. I think the the huge, you know, media and tech companies are beginning to condition people to think about the internet away from. A website. Yep, and you know it's more than just a website. And now you're going to start seeing, obviously, the Internet of Things is the a perfect example of this. Right, and right. Um, the Internet is just the connectedness. It's the tissue.
0: Right, exactly. And, I I agree. And do you think? I mean, it sounds like you guys are willing to to place those bets ahead of revenue, which I think is a lot different than most
1: media companies. It's a very calculated. Um, approach you know w- there are certain areas where we may be willing to place a bet ahead of revenue but we have to answer uh to our superiors and our investors and whatever may become of uh, of, of our status in the in the marketplace and um we can't be too far uh ahead of revenue because sure. ultimately we're answering to somebody. So it's a very calculated risk and you know in some cases we're more risky than in others because we have you know a, a greater deal of confidence in the outcome. So right. I can't say yes or no to that, but you know, has vice traditionally been in front of things? Yes, do we intend on being in front of things in the future? Yes. Are there things that we're going to absolutely not try and get in front of because it might be too risky? Yes to that as well. So, you know, I think that we, we have to, you know, this is sort of a, a a version of, of a media company that has sort of grown up in front of everybody. And now we're starting to take a look at how we do everything and say, Hey, you know, maybe we should uh, actually put that pen to paper and try to calculate how much that's going to cost before we develop it. And so we are starting to look at things like that. And we have been doing that for a number of years now. We've definitely been a bit more riskier earlier on. That's
0: um, very cool. Well, with that I want to thank you thank you, guests on the podcast. And uh, yeah, this was super interesting. So basically what did we learn today? We learned that the web might be going away forever. Well, uh, I think uh, we I were, caveated uh, the shit out of that <laughs> one. <laughs> Your yeah. rug is very soft. The rug is very soft. Uh, I feel like those are the main takeaways.
1: Yeah, yeah. I will. I will say um, this is exciting. I'm glad to be part of the the early version. Yes. Of this, and yes. I'm excited to see where this goes.
0: Yeah. Ne- next time you come back to the studio, these, uh, these soundproofing panels will be actually on the wall instead of uh, leaning uh, on the wall.
1: And there's going to be a recording light built from found objects.
0: Recording light built from found objects. Yeah. Coming soon.
1: Yeah. On air, off air. Oh my God. Yes.
0: Like an old school radio sign. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You might have to help me design this I feel like you have a vision
1: We also are working on designing something else But I don't think it's ready for
0: Oh man Yeah. When it's ready Our new company could become a sponsor <laughs> Of the podcast Let's just say Eating your to cereal do <laughs> will be a lot easier <laughs> For adults <laughs> We'll leave you there <laughs> Thanks Paul Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, As always, If you like the podcast, I encourage you to subscribe so you can find out about new upcoming episodes. I've got a lot of great guests coming up over the next few weeks and months. I also would encourage you to rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or wherever and tell your friends. That's the best way to spread the word about the Wizardist podcast. Also, check out wizardist.com for my latest rants and raves uh, in text format. Until next time, bye.